weekday mornings from 10 till 12. This is KCLR Live. Yes, good morning. Well, here we go again. Another week. A good week, though. Weather's looking absolutely fantastic. Monday, the 4th of September. I can't believe if I told you that there was two massive festivals taking place over the weekend. One in the middle of a desert in Nevada and one here in the Midlands of our own fair green oil and that one of them would be uh, completely mud-sodden and washed out, you wouldn't have thought it would have been the Burning Man Festival in Nevada, would you? I'm glad to see everybody uh, had a fabulous weekend at Electric Picnic. Great weather. The clean-up begins. I'm sure they'll get everything sorted out, but if you're heading away from the festival uh, today, uh, do drive safely, because obviously road safety is a big part of what we're talking about this morning. Paul Donahue is the Roads Policing Inspector, and he joins us in the wake of reports highlighting a huge recent increase in the number of deaths on our roads. It is one of the national slowdown days today so uh, we'll be finding out um, about those recent figures and encouraging everybody again to be mindful when they are on the roads Jen Hogan, well Jen is a journalist and a mum of seven and with the Minister for Education Norma Foley saying that she'll back primary schools that wish to ban smartphones we get to hear what Jen thinks of all of that. So also, Samantha Rawson is here for the Canine College just after 11. And Dr. Tyg Crowley joins us because the government has expanded the free contraception scheme. But what will this mean for those wishing to avail of it? And indeed, the GPs and pharmacies that will have to administer that scheme. Dr. Tyg is here just after 11. 20 this morning. Text and WhatsApp lines are open. You can free phone us on 1800 90 96 96. The dinner's ready text on WhatsApp line is 083 306 96 96. And you can email KCLR live at KCLR 96fm.com. Etna Quirk is back in the hot seat this week. She's there ready and willing to answer all of your queries and texts. But First of all, this morning, I'm um, very delighted to be joined in studio by Councillor David Fitzgerald um, with an exclusive announcement this morning. Uh, David, thank you very much for coming in. Um, is it good news, bad news? Do we say congratulations, uh, break a leg? Because you've stated this morning that you're going to run in the next general election. Well, I said to... Uh, good morning and good morning to your listeners. I said to, to uh, you and others on, on this programme... Uh, that once we knew what the Electoral Commission was going to do with the, the Carlo Kilkenny constituency, I said I would make my mind up and I would uh, I would tell people what I was going to do for the forthcoming general election. And so this morning I'm, um, I'm honoured and delighted to be uh, able to uh, announce that I am putting my name forward to seek a nomination uh, to run for Fine Gael in the next general election. Um, it's a it's a big it's a big decision, um, but also for me a decision that I haven't taken lightly and one that I would hope to bring to the members of Fine Gael and ask for their support in the in in, in the months and weeks ahead. Well, I mean, you first ran for a local election um, two thousand and nine, I think, elected yeah. at the first first uh, first attempt, as it were. So, I mean, good track record in that in in that regard, uh, good experience, but a different challenge running for for national election as opposed yeah, to I've local. I've always said that the local government, firstly, local government has been a huge honour and privilege, and I want to thank all the people who have supported me from day one. I've I've always been um, a huge supporter and, and advocate for local government, and I think it's important that local government continues to be uh, continues to have an important role and is strengthened. But um, 
to to step up to uh, the doll level is like going from junior hurling to senior hurling. Um, it's uh, it's it's a it's a bigger game. It's a tougher game. It's um, uh, you need to you need to be well prepared. You need to um, be prepared for the knocks. I mean, it's a, uh, politics is not an easy business. Um, but that said, I have wonderful support, starting with my own wife Paula and uh, my children, and a whole group of people beyond that who have been hugely supportive to me over the years and uh, we would hope to go forward and, and be there to contest in a real way for a uh, for the nomination and ultimately for a seat in Dáil Éireann. Um, we'll get on to some of the big topics in a moment but interesting that you, you reference your wife Paula. What did Paula say um, the day that you sort of said, Paula, I think I'm thinking about this, um, obviously supportive of the final decision but would have been involved I suppose in that decision making process as well? Well, I suppose uh, politics is very much a team effort and uh, nobody f- finds himself in front of the electorate without having a team. And the most important team is is the one at your own kitchen table. And um, uh, I, I mean, Paula, I don't think was particularly shocked when I said, Paula, I'm thinking of having a run at it because she knows me so well and mm. she knows the level of commitment that I have to politics over the years. But I mean, you do have to have that serious conversation to say, well, look, this is now uh, going to involve a huge commitment of time, energy and money to uh, to, to, to go and fight a campaign. And, and, I, also and, I, and I always say that this, this the important thing about elections is you fight elections. I mm. mean, you have to go out there and fight for your space. You have to go out there and show that you are prepared to do the work and stand up for the people who you 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 ask to uh, for their vote, and ultimately you're there to represent. So uh, you know, uh, I I would be very proactive as a as a as a councillor and as a candidate to say that it's important that um, you acknowledge the importance of the electorate and that you show that you're 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 willing to take on the task and that you you don't take their vote for for granted and that you ask everyone for their vote. So, you know, it's I, a scary I, place to go into though as well because we've seen such a change in recent years uh, about the, the, the what would have been a previous separation between a politician's public and private life. That that's obviously those lines have become very much blurred. We've seen, you know, people turning up maybe not necessarily with every TD's house, but at their own personal um impinging on their personal life. It, it could be a, a big challenge for you as a family yeah there's no doubt about that and uh, you know that's that's part of the serious conversation that every candidate should have with their own family and supporters before they put their name forward mm. um, but uh, I've been a, a public figure for some time now I've been prepared to get involved in debate sometimes when uh, the debate is difficult and the issues are difficult. In fact, I actually think that the the, the key role of a of a of a representative in Dáil is to deal with the difficult issues. You know, the the nature of of government and governing is that you're faced with challenges, whether it be challenges around um, around the cost of living, challenges around uh, migration, challenges around um, housing and healthcare. These are challenges, and and they're they involve making difficult decisions and trying to make the right decisions and of course people want to lobby you and people will be annoyed with you if you get it wrong so I accept that and I'm in, in putting my name forward I'm also saying I'm prepared to um, to engage with, with all voices within this constituency. I don't believe in, the, in a narrow definition of any political party. I believe I, I represent the centre ground of a public life and I want to be there to represent everybody mm. and anybody who wants my support. I have consistently as a councillor 
taken representations from every corner of the community and I will continue to do that as a public representative because I believe that once you're elected you're not elected for the people just the people who voted for you you're elected to represent the entire constituency that is there uh, that, that, that you're elected for so this is as much about talking to the people of Carlow and Kilkenny talking to all the different demographics and social groups and saying to them I'm ready I'm willing I'm hopefully able and I want to represent you We'll talk about the balance across the constituency, that this two-county constituency that we still have um, in just a moment's time. But talk to me about what will happen now over the next couple of weeks. I mean, um, you've obviously thrown your hat into the ring now at this stage. Presumably, obviously, you've got the supporting of, of the party itself. Um, does that still need to be ratified in any way, shape or form by the party? Well, that's not, an, that's not something you can presume because the first thing to be a candidate for any political party is you have to be nominated by the members of that party. Mm. So what will happen is that... Fine Gael will call a convention at some stage between now and when we have a general election and candidates will come forward and the members of uh, Carlo Kilkenny will then vote and nominate their candidates to run it for the general election. So it's it's a two-stage process here and the first stage today is to go to the members of Fine Gael and say, firstly, I'm asking you for your support, I'm putting my hat in the ring and um, I want to be there to represent you. And over the next, over the next number of weeks and months I will be talking to the members of Fine Gael right across the constituency and uh, being there to, to seek their support. And do you expect others from that party to put their hat into the ring as well? Or could you see a situation where Fine Gael would, would run certainly more than one? I mean, presumably it'd be hopeful that they would run two candidates in the next general election, one possibly Kilkenny-based and one possibly Carlow-based, possibly? Fine Gael have run multiple candidates in Carlo Kilkenny over over many many elections. So I bl- I presume that they will run uh, Fine Gael will run multiple candidates again on the next occasion. So uh, I expect more candidates to be in the field, and I think that uh, it will be then up to the members and uh, the public to decide which of those candidates uh, can be or will be elected in, into Dáil Éireann. Um, I think it's also important to say that uh, that. Uh, people should not assume that Fine Gael will win a seat in Carlo Kilkenny. I mean, we have, we're going into this election without a sitting TD. Um, the, the current TD, John Paul Phelan, has explained mm. that he's not going to stand again. So this is, this is new territory for Fine Gael, and we are going to have to work very hard to convince the voters to back us and to vote for us. And I think that uh, there, there will be many factors, both local and national, on the table, which we'll have to, which we'll have to face into. I mean, there's serious challenges around... The Southeast Technical University. Um, we we have we have no campus in Kilkenny, and there is a danger that the Carlow campus uh, will not get the investment that it needs to continue to be one of the leading um, academic institutions in the country. So we have to we have to um, work to support um, uh, the 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 SETU and to ensure that it is a full uh, Southeast wide um, campus and college um, for everybody. Yeah. That's just one of many many issues that are out there. And of course, last time around, Fine Gael only managed to get one candidate across the line and become elected. Would it be a concern for you if they did decide to run two candidates, one in Carlow and one in Kilkenny, that it might split that vote and make it difficult to get either candidate into uh, the doll? No, I think that I think I think it's almost inevitable that Fine Gael will, will run multiple candidates, whether it's two, whether it's three. I can't predict at this point in time. All I can do is go out and and look for the support and look for the the the, the nomination of the party and its members. Um, I think the, the, the electoral system we have, the proportional representation system, means that it's important that you have candidates who 
are in different parts of the constituency and out of that then um, votes will, will move under the, the, the voting system we have, the single transferable vote and uh, a candidate hopefully will emerge that will be successful. Um, but I think it's important also then at the end of all that that whoever is elected, whoever the five TDs, whether they're Fine Gael or whatever party they are, that they uh, they fight to represent all the voices, all the people, all the all the issues that are within this constituency. And when do you expect that local selection to take place in terms of the party choices? Well, we're coming into a very busy election cycle, so we're coming into uh, local elections, European elections, um, and potentially a general election all in 2024. So there's ca- there's there are selection conventions going on already for the local elections, and I think they will have to be dealt with first before we get to uh, a general election selection convention. So um, I can't give you a timeline on it at the moment, mm. but happy to keep you informed when, when we know. Okay, so let's move a little bit further down the line. Let's uh, presume we've gotten past all the selection processes. You're going to change roles from being a, a councillor, potentially, to try and become a TD. That's a rebalancing, I suppose, of the importance of the topics that you deal with. Which of the topics that you have been dealing with as a local councillor are you? do you think are going to be the key ones that you're going to have to deal with and take to that national forum? The biggest single issue... Um, in Ireland today is housing and uh, as a councillor and as a Cahirlock, um I set uh, I, I set my my hat into that air, into that arena um, nearly six years ago uh, when I was elected in my election speech I said that it is no, it is not acceptable in Ireland that any child would have to put on their school uniform in a hotel room or in emergency accommodation. Well, I mean, we've talked, we've heard recently that and some of those might might be doing it in the coming weeks and months absolutely. in tents. Absol- absolutely. In Kilkenny, that is not the case. In Carlow, that is not the case. Councils and local authorities and Kilkenny County Council, and I believe that this is this has been through a, a, a consistent approach by the elected members, of which I was one, and I hope to, I would, I will believe I fought for this more than any other councillor, that we we uh, act, actively address this issue and we build more houses. We've had lots of talk about the housing issue, about all the things we should do, but the reality of it is the only solution is that you build more houses. And we have had a hugely successful building programme at a local government level, and you will see the edge of Kilkenny and on the edge of Carlow, and right across the country you will see construction at, a, at a, an unprecedented pace underway right now. That is because the housing issue is the core issue within our society at the moment. You can go through all the reasons why we've had a growing population, we've had a whole range of uh, challenges as a country, but the bottom line is we have to build more houses and we are building more houses. I believe that we're, we actually have reached the point where we're now starting to get real traction on this issue and that you will see um, uh, many, uh, the, many of the statistics which I'm not happy with when you see the number of people who are living in emergency accommodation, number of people who would be who are declared homeless they're not acceptable they're not acceptable in any society I don't care what your political party is or political views I'm saying here and now as a member of Fine Gael that's not acceptable and we have to do more and we will do more and if I'm elected into Dáil Éireann I will do everything I will move mountains to ensure that everybody has a home Okay, really, really interesting. Um, thanks for bringing us that news this morning. Um, we were talking off air during the ad break and during the news. We don't know whether to say, is it good luck, break a leg, congratulations. But uh, nevertheless, whatever way you want to look at it, Councillor David Fitzgerald, uh, Fianna Gáil Councillor, um, announcing that he is willing 
um, to stand in the next general election should that selection process and the party decide that he is the right candidate for doing so. Thank you very much for your time this morning. I look forward to keeping abreast of the developments over the next couple of months. Get your text and WhatsApps in 083 306 9696. Let's ask a simple question, I suppose. Do you think David would be a good candidate? 083 306 9696. Councillor David Fitzgerald, thanks for your time this morning. Thank you. KCLR Live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets, and a state of the art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie. KCLR. You're welcome back. It's Brian Redmond with you on KCLR Live this Monday morning, the 4th of September. Yes, all of the kids are well back in school. Well, <laughs> yeah, they should be. Um, my youngest one's only been back for three days and out sick this morning already. And she's genuine as well. She's not just pulling the wool, as they say, but it's supposed to happen at this time of year, isn't it? All the sniffles and coughs and colds when they all mix back with one another. But uh, getting them into the classroom isn't the only challenge that's out there. Mm. How do you feel about them having uh, access to smartphones? Yeah, but we all know they're phone mad, and certainly when they're at home, devices, whether they be iPads or other tablets or access to smartphones is something that's a big part of young people's life. But Education Minister Norma Foley is to back primary schools wishing to ban smartphones, and she'll give them measures and supports to significantly help that policy moves by the government afoot, apparently. Jen Hogan. Not just a journalist, also mum of seven, has her own thoughts on it and she joins us this morning. Good morning, Jen. Good morning, Brian. How's it going? Great, thank God. Yeah, I mean, every child in the country has a smartphone at this stage and uh, ah, is Norma Foley trying to uh, hold back the tide, an inevitable tide that will no doubt sweep schools across the country at younger and younger ages or is it a serious measure um, that's worth looking at? I think it's a love headline. I mean, it, it makes great headline because the, the one thing is she probably has parental buy-in in most regards. Very few parents want their primary school children to have a smartphone. I mean, whether she brings this in or doesn't bring this in, primary school kids in this house don't have smartphones. So it won't make any difference to me in, in that regard. Um, so I, I, as a mum looking at this, it makes little difference to me. I think, you know, I think we all are concerned about the impacts of smartphones on children. I think we're a little bit concerned about them getting access to phones younger and younger. But what I would say is when we look at how this is being sold and how this is um, being represented, it's not necessarily quite as accurate as it seems. The idea that, that a ban is being introduced, it's actually a voluntary code. So parents choose whether or not they want to sign up to it. Um, I know she's going to offer support to those who want to do it, but the same thing, Greystones and Waterford, both of which got an awful lot of attention. And it's, it's, it looks, it's great. Anything that keeps our kids away from smartphones at a young age is only a positive thing, especially, you know, when we have all the different worries that we have. But it is a voluntary code and it shouldn't be overstated. It does depend on parental buy-in. And I'm not sure going around the country that you will get parental buy-in ever. I don't even think you'll get school buy-in everywhere because I actually spoke to a few um, schools about this recently. I was writing about it for the Irish Times. And one principal in particular mentioned that he felt it was an overstepping of the mark here, really, to act for schools to, to speak or to decide what children should be able to do outside of school. 
primary school students aren't allowed to have phones in schools anyway. So I think like that's that's a given. First of all, they can't have they can't have phones in primary school. So this is largely kind of stepping in to making sure they don't have phones at all. So they don't have phones outside of school. And and this particular principal felt quite strongly about it. One teacher came back as well to say, you know, if we allow schools to dictate this now, and and there is largely a belief. Hang on a second, this is a good thing mm. that we're keeping young people off smartphones. What happens the next time the school decide parents should be doing things a certain way? Like, where does it stop? Where do we draw the line? So, um, I mean, I, like I said, I absolutely am completely behind any idea which keeps children off smartphones as long as possible. I do think there are obviously exceptional circumstances. Sometimes maybe if a child has diabetes, the phone can be a medical device. Parents might have their own reasons for it, and every situation has to be kind of judged on its own merit. But what really, really bugs me about this is the idea that she's, she's there saying that, you know, that we're going to bring this in or the, the idea that this being sold is not full, he's going to bring this in. There is a 2017 circular out there which asked schools to get rid of crested uniforms and things like iPads should be generic devices to try and take the pressure off, uh, the financial pressure off parents. The department hasn't managed to make schools implement that. Yeah. So I have little enough faith if here we are six years later, if they haven't managed to make schools take that up, that they're going to do the set do much with, with the phone situation. Anyway, plus it has been used, as I know Stephen Donnelly shared his Tuppenworth too, and there was talk about, oh, well, look, we're very concerned about mental health and children. And it was very convenient that this report comes out, this article came out um, the same week that we're hearing that children are waiting 50 days, suicidal children are waiting 50 days to get in a... A, an appointment and that we're laying the blame for all the mental health issues at smartphones for primary school children again going back to primary school children when comparatively speaking not as many primary school children will have mobile phones as secondary school children so it, it being tied in like that yeah we don't want them starting younger yeah you'd like to try and you know have some kind of responsible management of smartphones as, as they get older and the amount of time they spend online and all the concerns we have about what they're being exposed to but don't dress it up as, as this is the solution to the, the failings and the shortcomings and the lack of provision and resources within CAMs and all that sort of thing. So I think the two things have been tied up and it's quite it's it's quite mind-blowing that yeah. they've been kind of caught in together when they're, they're separate things. But I do think it'll be harder to get buy-in right around the country because I think you need, obviously, individual boards of management individual schools, individual demographics, individual ideas around this. When you need parental buy-in, it's a different thing to just implementing a ban, which is how it's being described. So it's not quite the same thing. And I am curious to see how they can make that work when they couldn't make schools get rid of expensive crested uniform items or bring in generic devices rather than iPads in secondary schools. So you think it's a little sound bitey and it's also, I suppose, preaching to the converted because most parents at the end yeah. want to keep their kids off smartphones as much as they can. It's a bit of a contradiction as well because some of the things as a parent myself I've come across since lockdown, for example, where we had remote education going on. Just mm -hmm. Friday gone, my own daughter, who's in third class, came home, said, "Mom, I have to download the Seesaw app onto my device <laughs> yeah. because we've now got a student's portal. Where do we balance this out? Because we know technology can be a great help to educate education but yet we're trying to keep kids off devices what way are we going to go with this in the long term jen 
Absolutely. And I mean, that is the kind of laughable thing. And a lot of the problems that we're trying to rein in even now, kind of some of it stem back to school closures and back to um, the, the pandemic when, you know, people were, when teens and, and kids weren't able to mix with their friends. And technology was amazing then for helping them stay connected to loved ones and friends and even gaming. Who would have thought gaming could be their way to stay connected yeah. to peers and cousins and, some, and, and just when they were feeling so cut off because it was so abnormal. And the dreaded Seesaw app, which so many of us will remember and Aladdin and all these things they do make life easier but we have to be very careful again about the sort of message that we're sending to our, our students one minute we're telling them technology you need to be off it you know it's it's, it's bad for you it's bad for you and it, it has a negative impact on you unless it suits us and then <laughs> Jen, all of us Jen, I want to ask you a question <laughs> because I'm sitting here thinking back when you mentioned Aladdin I'd forgotten about Aladdin because that was so, <laughs> I, I struggled right through lockdown because mm-hmm. I have two children in my house and we had Aladdin, we had Seesaw, we had different logins for this mm-hmm. child and for that child, for this app and for that app. And I was, the little hair that I have left, I was pulling out right the way through lockdown. <laughs> How God's name did you manage to manage all of that with seven of them? I nearly went insane if the truth be told it was the most stressful time I suppose because I had one in college and six in school at that time so she was trying to do her studies upstairs obviously lectures going through a lot of demand on the Wi-Fi um, any time that the schools the primary schools were involved in talking to like if there was any in-person classes and in primary school in particular it tended to be more through the app but there were small sometimes small set check-in sessions and an adult had to be there so I was like trying to drag it or pull my daughter in. Come on, out your lecture. I need you to sit in with one brother and me sitting in with another for that because there had to be an adult present. Uh, I don't. I, I I appeared in the background of my secondary school students' classes so many times. I'm sure I was included in the roll call, always in the pajamas, you know, of course. And then I was trying to do my own work as well. I was incredibly busy because obviously there was a lot of focus around family and health at that time, which is where I'd largely work in that kind of area of journalism. So it was it was probably one of the most stressful times. And my husband was an essential worker, so he wasn't at home. So there was me and the seven of them and me slowly go slowly slowly losing my mind and never ever wanting to return to that time again but it was I suppose we got on with it we did what we had to do and yeah. um, I never ever want to do it again I do think for a long time we'll be picking up the pieces it had a hugely negative impact on children and teenagers and I think it probably time for us to see that and we are trying to unpick some of the things like we actively encouraged our teenagers and our children online we actively did that for, so that they had a kind of a connection and then when Jane, lunch is breaking up there. I wonder. Uh, they're trying to break that. Yeah, we just lost you there for a split second, Jen. I was just wondering. Um, I'd say your husband took the long route home most evenings when he was out as an essential worker. When he, if he did manage to get home at all, with all of that madness going on at the house, we've got a texter in here saying, uh, "My granddaughter, my granddaughter is in school in an isolated area." She has a phone that she so she can call her mum mm-hmm. or me if whoever is the collector is late or there's something going wrong. This seems like an obvious advantage to having a smartphone and and definitely a benefit for people like that. That's not been managed by the school. The school is obviously allowing, with certain rules, that child bring that phone into the school. So I would actually contest, off, I presume, yeah, it's yeah. it's presumably much more of a challenge, and maybe rightfully so, that it's the parents that set the boundaries and the guidelines as to who has a phone and how it's used, rather than the schools. 
and that just seemed to be the case at the moment and I suppose that's part of the difficulty because with the new voluntary ban it would overstep it would step into parental responsibility territory again you are getting parents to sign up on a voluntary nature and I'm not I'm not against anything that gets our kids off smartphones at a young age not at all we, that we, you know we as I, like I said we're trying to unpick some of the problems created by um, being online so much over the course of the pandemic so I absolutely support anything which gets our kids off but there are circumstances I'll just lose broken up there. Jen Hogan, I mean, I have huge respect for um, all parents, but mum of seven trying to manage that. When you think about the older children, obviously out and about at college and stuff like that, needing access to the phones and, and the younger ones trying to follow suit. It's a challenge for us all, but I think most parents will be happy to manage it themselves. Uh, do let us know your own thoughts. 083 306 9696. Is that something that uh, Norma Foley, the Department of Education and the schools need to manage? Or should it be something that we manage ourselves? 083 306 That's the dinner's text and WhatsApp line. Yes, education, not just about giving kids smart devices or not, because by the time they go off to college, they'll definitely need them. Jess Lawson is the marketing and outreach officer at SETU. CAO offers, first round offers, opportunities to accept or not. Closing fairly soon, Jess will be joining us after this break to tell us about all of the things that we should consider. KCL or Live, with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets, and a state of the art IM cinema. See fairgreen.ie. Carlo, Kilkenny, KCLR. Yeah, 24 minutes to 11. This Monday morning, we've been talking smartphones and schools. Good suggestion in from a listener. Why don't children who are attending schools at those younger ages, maybe isolated, maybe needing access uh, to a phone, why not just use an old school phone, a non, a dumb phone, I think you would call it this morning, so they can make calls and receive texts in the case of emergency, but they don't have access to all the social media accounts, etc. Very good suggestion. you know, one that makes, and maybe a lot of parents would consider that as well. Um, Jim Lyons has been on. Good morning, Jim. Um, Sort of combining a couple of the different topics this morning with kids going back to school and road safety. Just asking, when dropping kids to school in Greg Cullen, uh, ask, please don't park on the footpath at the rehab centre. People in wheelchairs trying to get in and out. Yeah, well, it's definitely a time of year uh, for us to be mindful. Another text, the children don't need smartphones. They can have a simple mobile phone, similar to the last message there as well. Ideal if they need to ring mam or dad. Well, maybe that's the way to go and maybe the sensible people out there will come up with some sensible suggestions. Now, Tuesday is the completion of the first round CAO offers. Many people will have received some offers already. If they haven't, they'll be getting them fairly shortly anyway. Lots to consider, but telling us what we should be considering. Jess Lawson is the Marketing and Outreach Officer at SETU, and she's joining us now to give us all the key information and points that we need to deal with over those next 24 to uh, approximately 36 hours. Good morning, Jess. Good morning, how are you? Yeah, all good. Do you enjoy the weekend? We did. We were we were busy answering questions, but uh, enjoyed it nonetheless. Nice weather. Yeah, brilliant. Great. It's, it's, it, no matter what you're doing, it's better to do it in good weather. So, listen, tell us, those first round offers coming out, when will they all be completed? When will everybody have their first round offer? 
So um, would, re- would have received their first round offer last week. So they should have all received them at this point and then they'd have to have their acceptances in by tomorrow at three o'clock. So uh, I'd say it's been a, a busy week or so at home for everyone making decisions on what they want to do or organising accommodation or what, what offer they're going to accept as well. So a lot of conversations around the tables and trying to get things organised over the last week. I mean, obviously, uh, that deadline, three o'clock tomorrow, there's a lot to consider when accepting an offer other than just which course am I going to take? As you mentioned, accommodation, transport, all the other facilities that would go around living away from home. Um, What other considerations do people need to make? And uh, what would you say to those that haven't yet managed to gather all that information to help them make those decisions? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's, it's important to, to realise that there's more than just uh, the, the offer that's on, on the cards as well. It is the financial aspect of it. Can I get there? Um, Accommodation-wise, is there travel that, or buses that will get me to and from the college on time as well? Um, and is it, is it the course that I want to do? Um, I suppose when you're looking for, for that information, it's probably best to, to contact the colleges directly or you can contact us. We, we would point you in the right direction as well. But there's nothing else like either picking up a phone or WhatsApp or... Um, um, on that live chat as well to, to really get the information that you need that's individual to you um, and see exactly what, where you're at and, and what maybe the option might be or the best option might be for you. And if somebody decided for some of those logistical reasons um, that they didn't want to accept or couldn't accept that first round offer, talk to me about what they need to do um, by 3pm tomorrow. So if they don't want to accept the offer, it's just don't accept it on the CEO. I think sometimes what we find, the students get really excited, they get their offer, and sometimes they forget to accept it on the CAO, and then they're looking for retrospective uh, retrospective acceptances, and it can kind of be a little bit more messy. So the one thing is, if you're going to accept it, make sure you've gone on to your CEO and have accepted the correct course for you. And if you've decided, you know what, maybe it's not for me, or I'm going to defer for a year, don't accept on your CAO. If you're looking for a deferral, you just go on to the SETU website and it'll give you all the information you need there. Or if it's for another college as well, it'll be a similar enough process. If you go onto their website, it'll give you all the information on deferring for a year too. But really, if you're not accepting the offer, you don't need to do much at the moment. Just don't accept it through the CAO. Um, but I think the the one question we're getting a lot at the moment is, I do, I've got my first preference, but I'm not going to accept it in the hope that I get my second preference in a later round. I think it's important for, for students and parents to realise that if you get an offer of your first preference, you can't be offered in any subsequent rounds anything lower on your on your list. So it is important that maybe you contact the college um, on that as well. So it would be a case that you can't get, even in round two or round three um, or so on, you won't get offered anything lower on your preference list on the CAO. It's an important point to make, so just to be so people can be aware. Um, if you've been offered your first choice, and for some reason over the last number of months, gone, actually, do you know what? I, I probably would have preferred option two or my second choice. I'll hang around and wait and see if I get offered option two. That's not going to happen for you, is it? No, it's not. And I think that's sometimes why people get a little bit confused and they're holding out, waiting for round two or round three offers, thinking there's something lower on the list. Um, it can only happen if, let's say, for example, in round one, you get offered your preference two. And let's say in round two or three points may drop for uh, what for your preference one and you can be offered your preference one at that stage. But you'll only ever be offered your highest preference. So nothing lower will ever uh, be offered out um, once you meet the criteria and points for a higher preference.
Okay, so order. you might get something higher, but you'll definitely not get something lower. You've had a fabulous, exactly. I mean, a series of ways that people can contact you. You've got all the usual facilities where people can ring the campus or email the campus. But you've, we also heard last week that you've got the, I think it was 24 or 36 hours um, of, of web chat and social media chats available and things like that. You've had uh, all sorts of questions, I'd imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think the good thing about being able to contact us in a lot of means is that we're hearing from parents, even there's um, students contacting us as well, and we're really able to get them the information that they need for the individual um, decision-making, I suppose, as well. Um, So that's quite good. And look, those lines are going to stay open until the 15th of September. Um, So there's plenty of time to still contact us if there's something you're unsure of or questions you might like to ask. Um, you can contact us still on all those platforms. The Instagram Live is the only one that's not still running, but if you lo- if you write to us directly on that, we will be able to get back to you with all the information that you need there too. Okay, brilliant. Well, moving on to the uh, college campus itself, SETU, 7,000 offers are being made from prospective students um, from SETU. I- is that a record? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think it's uh, it's an exciting time for, for all of us in the university um, and a time where students are starting to apply in and numbers are, are picking up, which is great. Um, it definitely shows the interest, I suppose, in the university at our doorstep, as well as people kind of from further afield starting to now see exactly what SETU has to offer. So it's great for everyone that, that's around, students included, um, for the university itself, that global recognition as well. And of course, building and building on from there as well. Well, I'm sure anybody who's considering going this year is fully aware of of the amount of courses and the different types of courses. But of course, when we have these conversations now, we're also helping people aware of, of, you know, maybe they've got students going into sixth year or maybe they've even got students just going into fifth year and they're starting to have those types of thoughts, which college, what they're going to do. Give us a bit of an idea as to the range and type of courses that are available at the SETU campuses. Yeah, so we've over 140 courses to choose from across all of our campuses, um, which is really exciting. I suppose the main ones for the undergraduate CEO will be in Wexford, Carlow, and of course Waterford there as well. Um, You have everything, I suppose, from from your nursing right through to your engineering, aerospace. Um, You'd also have all your business courses, your health sciences, your sport, uh, engineering uh, your arts courses, humanities. So there's plenty to choose from, um, and there's, I suppose, a course for every area um, that you can think of, especially maybe maybe the specialised areas as well. So um, if you go onto the SETU website, it'll give you a full cost- catalogue of all the courses that are available to students in the next year or two years coming in as well, and we'll be hoping to add to that catalogue as well in the next couple of years. I'm sure you will. And just finally, Jess, just reiterate the point. Uh, three o'clock tomorrow. Um, don't just jump around the kitchen with excitement that you've been offered a place. You have to go on and accept it. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's the big take-home point. It's a time where we see offers and we get really excited and we forget to do the next step. So just make sure you log on to your CEO and make sure that you have accepted the course that you're choo- choosing to. Excellent. Jess Lawson, Mark. An outreach officer for the Southeastern Technological University. Thanks for your time this morning. Exciting time for everybody and uh, made even more pleasurable by the fact that the weather is so good out there. I can't believe temperatures up to 26 degrees and based on what I could see on the medium to long range type forecast, not much rain around till probably about Wednesday week. So I was thinking this morning, I wanted to play a piece of music that had a little bit of those sorts of summer vibes, despite the fact that we're technically in autumn. Bit of reggae 
Eddie Grant, I don't want to dance. Whatever you're up to today, I hope you're enjoying the fact that uh, we're, I think it's called an Indian summer. Is that what happens when we get this level of weather in September? And uh, maybe after a winter, I was going to say winter, that's a Freudian slip, after a summer of having the kids at home with you all summer long. Do you know what you should do this morning? If you've got the opportunity, I'm sure they're all off in school, just take five minutes. 10 minutes if you want. Go and sit in the back garden, have a cup of coffee, keep listening to us because we've got lots more to talk to. After a short break, we're going to be talking to Paul Donoghue, the roads policing inspector, about the importance of looking after one another on the roads. That's all on the way after this short break. KCL or Live, with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie. KCLR. You're very welcome back to KCLR Live. Text and WhatsApps are still open. Dinner's ready. Text and WhatsApp line, of course. 083 306 9696. Etna and all the team are ready to answer your call. Siobhan is on calls. Etna is on emails. Um, you can get Siobhan on 1800 9696. And of course, Etna will answer KCLR Live at KCLR96FM.com. Calm. Now, as uh, we're very aware, I mean, tragedy continues um, unabated on our roads just in the last few moments. Uh, we heard from Paula Hillman in the news. She's the Assistant Garda Commissioner um, and she's been saying that since she announced that today would be a national slowdown day, she made that announcement about a month ago, um, tragedy has continued um, unabated on our roads. Let's hear what Paula had to say. We've seen a really tragic month where a quarter of all road deaths um, um, have occurred within the month of August. Internally we send out operational orders uh, for a slow down day and when I signed that operational order on the 15th of August it said there'd been 105 road deaths uh, on Irish roads and today two weeks later it's 127 and I think you know that is really stark. 22 road deaths in just the last couple of weeks. Paul Donoghue is the roads policing inspector and he joins us on the show this morning. Good morning Paul. Morning, Brian. How are you? I mean, a lot of people will think that National Slowdown Down Day, which is today, has been organised as a drop of a hat on the back of those recent tragedies. But it was planned anyway. But the fact that we've had so many deaths in that last month, it's its almost mind-blowing. It is, Brian, yeah. Look at, and I think there's not a person in Ireland that's thinking about all these families, and that's all we're thinking about is the accidents that's after happening, the tragedy and loss. Um, and more than that, and are very conscious of it you know and our colleagues especially in the likes in Tipperary division there have had a really hard time over the last two weeks so yeah this as we were I've been aware of this national slowdown as you say for for the last month and it is today and we just have to try do our best to try educate people and try get people to slow down and be conscious and no better time now than when this is clear in everyone's head the amount of lives we've lost in the last two to three weeks you know it's been absolutely tragic you know and those big tragedies obviously making national news but I mean locally we've had five deaths in our road so far this year two in Carlow and three in Kilkenny um, and I think it's important to make that point to listeners this morning because it's it, it, it could visit anybody's door couldn't it? Absolutely Brian yeah last year we had eight deaths in Kilkenny uh, our highest ever our worst year ever and we we're trying our best you know to reduce that this year unfortunately we have as you say five we lost two lives in Carlow and three in Kilkenny already this year. So, 
you know, it's a you know it's a constant stress trying to reduce down these deaths. And now those five, three of them were single vehicle accidents. Um, but yeah, we we're doing our best to try get out there and try you know have visibility and people to make people aware and that. And we have a number of guards across Kilkenny and Carlow out today now for Operation Slowdown Day. But quite a lot of detections being got, Brian, this morning, mm-hmm. even at this hour of the morning. You know, so like I think there's uh, nine people have been detected speeding in the Johnstown area alone this morning. Uh, we had one one guard out there in Johnstown, which is a, you know it's a place that people are flying through the village there and we're getting constant complaints. But um, and we have another individual that was caught doing 165 kilometres an hour on the motorway uh, on the M9. 165. 165. Yeah. So that was one of our Thomastown Roads police and members uh, detected that. You know. Um, and then the car lads are out there as well. So we're and we're trying to do a mix. We're you know we're trying to people on the motorways. We're also trying to do urban areas, mm. then in 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 restricted areas. Because when you look at all our deaths over the last two years, between pedestrians, we have a lot of people being uh, have lost their lives on, as pedestrians in Kenny last year. So a lot of people would always say, why are you doing ch- speed checkpoints in a fifty or a, an eighty kilometer zone? But the statistics will show we are losing lives in those areas so we have to do it to try to get people to slow down there's a lot of pedestrians and a lot of people walking around the city Kilkenny and in around the town of Carlow so they, they're as important as any place to yeah. get people to, to slow down you know I, I think you know when, when, when we're out driving and, and, and we all do it I mean if you're on a motorway and you're over the speed limit by you know 5-10% right that's it's breaking the laws you're 130 132 you're probably going to get mm. done for it but five or ten percent over the speed limit in an urban area is probably, as you said, even more dangerous. But it's important that people understand what's going to happen to them if they get caught. Now, that person that was caught doing 165 this morning, presuming they're found guilty of, of, of that action, what what sort of what what sort of penalties are they going to face? Well, they're going to they'll they'll be getting a fine now, Brian. In the you know he'd be issued with a fine in the post, and he get his. Uh, he'll get his three penalty points and if he fails to pay that he goes to court and then he has to he has to address the judge then about do, his do actions you think Paul that, you know an action like that 165 I mean if you've got no points on your licence right three points and 80 quid mm. that to me for such a high speed doesn't seem mm. like a big enough deterrent you know it, it, yeah uh, it, at what point does somebody end up going directly to court you know for, for speeding yeah, well, look, at it, there will be, depending on the nature of the driving, when a guard stops someone, you know, if someone is driving at, in excessive speeds, they can be arrested for dangerous driving, and the, and the guard will have the power to arrest them for dangerous driving and charge them or bring them st- before the court. And that happens regularly. But, you know, if we find someone driving in an area in really excessive speeds, um, built-up area, or busy time or bad weather, because danger- the definition of dangerous driving is, you know what I mean, the nature and conditions of the road mm. and speed, you know what I mean? So, But we do that, and we regularly are arresting people for dangerous driving and going straight to the court. They go straight to the courts, and then it's a, then it's a disqualification. There's no penalty points. Uh, they will get a fine from a judge, but a mandatory disqualification. The same as if you were being prosecuted for drink driving or drug driving, it's a, and no insurance. They are all mandatory, where the judge has to disqualify them. So there's there's no discretion from a judge. They will be disqualified if you're if you're convicted of dangerous driving. It is a disqualification. Yeah, I mean it's 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 interesting. I think it's it's something that we absolutely need to get a handle on because at the end of the day, you know, eighty quid and three penalty points is one thing, but. Um, it's the lives, it's the families that are absolutely destroyed, and not just destroyed in that instant, but destroyed for years and decades in 
in into the future. It's really really interesting. Oh, forever, to hear. yeah, forever. Basically, it is Brian. It is forever. You're, those those families are never going to get over this, you know. As you say, and I think it's it's a lifetime. They're going to suffer for a lifetime for how much, you know. Yeah. You know, and it is national slowdown today, Brian. But you'd even and I'm always saying to you, the amount of people using mobile phones, um. You know, there's one thing us trying to detect people on mobile phones, but you and I know when we're driving around our own cars, you can see people with phones on their laps and they're nodding their head up and down looking at a phone on their laps. And I think people just need to, they need to just cop on, to be honest with you. They just need to, you can't do that. You can't keep your eyes on the road and be looking up and down on people. Talking on a mobile phone is one thing, but people are reading text messages or sending text messages or looking at apps and looking at news apps or different things when driving. Um, and this has to be a major cause in fatalities and that if someone's out walking on the roads and they they walk across the road and someone's on their phone but they're not going to react you know what I mean so mobile phones is a major major thing Um, guards can only detect so many because we have to be sure that they're on their mobile phone but if you were driving around and everyone will tell me they can see it they can see people they yeah. know people are on their phone with their hand we, we, down we below do. the door we, they all know it they all know it it's, it's a, yeah. ho- hopefully we won't have um, many more tragedies and that's the word, that's the thing isn't it I said many more I would have loved to say no more but it's likely that it will happen just make sure it's not you and your family I think if we all do that we've got a chance Paul Dunhu Rhodes Police and Inspector thanks for joining us this morning it's uh, one minute to eleven o'clock Edwina Grace will be here in a moment KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlow with a fantastic range of shops food outlets and a state of the art IMC cinema see fairgreen.ie thanks Edwina did you get the barbecue out over the weekend? no but I went to a gig Oh, did you? Yes, mummy and daddy got to go out. Where did you Yay. go? Went to Roshan Dove and Galway oh, for brilliant. the Guggenheim Grotto. They kind of got back together for two nights only after a, a long sojourn of, of no music. So yeah, it was good. And uh, did you, could you feel your youth swelling back over you? Oh yeah, I thought I was in my 20s until <laughs> until maybe the second drink hit and I went, oh, I'm too old for this. Too old well, for what this. time did you go home at? Um, we got back out pretty much uh, early enough. It was about midnight, I oh, think. Yeah, late night. Yeah, well, for us now, you know. <laughs> but that's the thing, isn't yeah. it? I mean, I've been at so many things over the last couple of years where about half past eleven, I'm like, yeah, I'm done now. I've had enough of that. You see, I think a lot of that, while part of you will wistfully go, do you remember the nights that we stayed out dancing until all hours or whatever? The older you get, you go, can I be bothered? But you know when you see a night out, maybe it's, I don't know, on a hotel reception at a wedding or something like that, and you've got all, all the old ones in Elphilus. Us. <laughs> Us, yeah, <laughs> sitting around. Um, it's too loud in there, but we'll sit out in the lobby and have a couple of drinks and a chat. Sometimes, if you get the environment right and you've yeah. got a comfy chair, uh, it, it could be three or four if or five in the morning. You start now a, a mug of cocoa and you're no, or something, no, you're no, no. I'll, I'll have I'll have a second cherry or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to get out, though, isn't it? Ah, oh, yeah. No, it's, it's it's lovely. It was really really nice to get away and just you know um, really in, just to enjoy the music. You know, and the company? Ah, oh, yeah, the company was good too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Ken, Ken was with you, I presume, there was he? Oh, I can yeah. confirm my husband is with me, yes. Okay, very good. Yes. Yeah, yeah. If you saw Edwina Grace with anybody over the weekend in, in the Roche Duff, it was her husband, so it's grand. There's no need to text us or WhatsApp us and let us know. Edwina, thank you very much. Thanks, as always, Brian. a pleasure talking to you. Um, uh, maybe you got out over the weekend, maybe you relived your youth as well. You can let me know. 
KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie. Okay, just some important business to do to let you all know that there's a water outage in the Moon Coin area until about 3 o'clock today. It's due to a burst water mains and as said, the water was off from about half nine this morning but uh, Ishka Aaron and Kilkenny County Council are hoping to have everything back up and running as it were by three. Uh, the areas affected will be Silver Springs, Grange, Bally, Tarsney and the Carrick Road area of Mooncoin in County Kilkenny. And as always, Ishgaran and Kilkenny County Council apologise for any inconvenience caused. Some interesting texts coming in on, on our multitude of guests in the first hour. Hi Brian, uh, it answered Norma Foley better to sort out the school buses rather than worrying about whether children are bringing phones to school with them or not. Uh, more important things, says Trish. Yeah, absolutely, Trish. And uh, we were talking about that last week, a conversation that now that will continue, we'll look back into it again this week because we're hearing reports that there's even more children waiting on school buses in uh, the Goran area. Hi, Brian. In regards to roads and speeds and dangers, I can tell you that the link road from Tuller Road to the O'Brien Road seems to be a racetrack for motorists who have no concern whatsoever. The speed of vehicles on it is very shocking and it was only once speed checked, apparently. I'm sure it was speed checked more than that, but you may have only seen it once. Uh, I've seen so many near misses from speeding here in Carlo. I understand that it's hard to check roads, but I know... It'll be a, only a matter of time before somebody is seriously injured. And on a similar point, um, somebody else talking about Garda shortages, saying Garda shortages are too a big issue for our roads and streets, not just affecting crime on our streets, crime too, uh, let's not forget, in particular in Kilkenny. And indeed, all over the country, says Paul, how many deaths are due to people not wearing seatbelts. We were talking to uh, a roads policing officer, Paul who there just before the news at 11, and apart from it being National Slowdown Day, Paul was also anxious to remind people about the use of mobile phones, but this texture also wants to remind people about using um, properly and at all times their seatbelts. And going back to our first and exclusive this morning, Councillor David Fitzgerald announcing that he is planning to run in the next general election. He sees housing as being one of the major issues. Well, Anne in High Street suggests that David should also uh, have mental health um, at the top of his agenda because mental health now much in the news um, and says uh, he'll need to address the dire services in Kilkenny and particular uh, tragic deaths while under this service. Um, lots of challenges for anybody in any sort of mental health uh, strife, needing help. And don't forget, we've got a help page here on KCLR, kclr96fm.com forward slash help if you want to check out any of the services that we have there. But a good point, Dan, and I'm sure mental health will be at the top of David's agenda also. 11 minutes past 11. Time for this. It's a dog's life. With Samantha Rawson. Samantha! She's in studio. <laughs> I'm in studio on a lovely day. I'm going to try and stay away from the relationship stuff Yeah, today. yeah, yeah. Well, well you, you can talk about it a little bit because I am actually going to talk about relationship with your dog and tuning into your dog on National Slowdown Day. Mm. It's a nice um, little reminder to slow down with your dog um, because dogs don't experience experience the world in the way we do. And we're so busy and so distracted and so caught up with our own stuff that we don't kind of remember that they need time to stop and sniff and listen and be alert. And they are very aware of 
perceived threats and things that we take for granted, like a, a bag blowing in the wind could freak out a dog. So we look at it and go, what's your problem? It's a bag. The dog says, I'm a dog. I don't know what a bag is. <laughs> yeah, true, yeah. So, so you're talking about, you know, we as the adults in the room, the yeah. owners, the, the chaperones, the keepers of that little life, um, yeah. we enjoy those moments where it's appropriate for... for well, you know, we, we talk about kids being little Johnny or little Mary. We'll have to come up with something similar for dogs. Uh, little Fido. Little um, Fido or, uh, or Shep. All dogs Shep. are called Shep. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's okay for us when we want to relax. Yeah. Yeah. to have time to sit there with Chep and pat yeah. the head and rub it. But, but when sh- we when we go out, Brian, because, you know, when, when I'm dealing with, with clients and, and they might say the dog pulls on the lead or the dog does this or the dog does that. And I go, so um, how fast do you walk? Oh, I, I, I go for the walk. It's like it's a chore that needs to be done and I bomb down the road. And I go, well, how is the dog supposed to engage or listen to you or be aware of his surroundings if you're just bombing down the road and this walk is, is a chore that you need completed? in a certain time frame. So that sort of probably ties into to when you were exercising our, our, our dogs. We're not just exercising them physically, we're, we're allowing them be stimulated yeah, and go you're about... T- you're taking them out. Going for a walk for a dog is like reading a book. So some dogs are writers and some dogs are readers. So so some dogs love to pee and scent mark and leave messages everywhere and communicate. And that, that marking is really important because it's how dogs communicate. But other dogs then love to stop and read those messages. And that's how they communicate with each other. So, you know, we have social media, we have radio, we have papers. That's the only way dogs can communicate with each other that they don't meet. But my smartphone. <laughs> is reading those messages. Don't get me started on smartphones. <laughs> oh, I, I, oh, when Samantha <laughs> says don't get me started, you better not get her started. Because so. again, as a dog lover, it, it really breaks my heart when I see somebody out for a walk with a dog and there's no engagement. There's yeah. nothing. The dog is on the end of the lead. They've got their headphones on or they're looking at their iPhone. And again, they're just they're just on an exercise where they're walking the dog. But there's there's no relationship. There's no engagement. You kind of go, what's the point? If you wanted to go for a walk or run, leave the dog at home. You know, it's much better to sit down and spend time with the dog or bring him to a park and just sit on the grass with him. It's beautiful weather now for the next couple of weeks. Just go and sit on the grass and watch the world go by. So this is... And I get mean, in tune. You you're know? you're a hugely experienced dog handler, dog yeah, trainer, yeah. dog psychologist, yeah. you know, a dog whisperer. Well, that's what we call mm, it. No, no, no. Um, that conjures up magic. There is no magic. <laughs> so. Well, this is what, sort of the point that I'm getting to because you've got all that experience. But, you know, for, for, for the lame amongst us... Mm. Um, how do we get that balance right between setting boundaries and setting standards, but yet now going out on a walk and letting the dog do what it wants? Yeah, yeah, just, just well, you can't be, it's a bit like being a parent. You can't be a disciplinarian every day of the week. Sometimes you've just got to chill out and sometimes you've just got to go, you know what, I'm going to let that go. Um, because what's more important, is it is it spending time with your with your dog that you enjoy or your dog being under perfect control? I mean, say your dog is a bit socially embarrassing. Maybe he's a little bit reactive or he barks or he does something. Then maybe find a space away from the hubbub and just sit and let him watch. Or maybe just sit at home on the sofa and watch a movie together. It's whatever works for you. There's there, there's no rules, but really all dogs want is company and social contact. Do you That's think, all they want. Do you think dogs like people watching? Oh, yeah, they love people watching. Yeah, they, they love people, especially with the little nervous dog. Like I was at a, a dog show yesterday in a thigh and I just sat on a bench with my dog who's a little bit of a scaredy cat and he just watched everybody. 
and he had a great time. So it didn't look as if I was doing anything, but I was actively training him because we were in a social setting and I was keeping him safe and I was watching the agility. So I was having great fun and he was safe and he was watching the agility and seeing all these dogs and realizing that none of these dogs were coming towards him. So he was learning and I was learning because I was studying dogs as well. You know, yeah, you, you learn a lot by just watching. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you just, you know, just sit down, take the time, slow down. It's National Slow Down Day. Slow down and take some time and just spend quality time doing nothing with your dog. Okay, let's move on right a little bit because you're talking about, you know, you're referencing National Slow Down Day. It's, it's, it's a roads initiative and very mm. cleverly put together, by the way, Samantha, in terms of how you've done that with the dogs. But I know we hadn't prepped for this. But dogs travelling in cars. Oh, yeah, yeah. They can be another yeah. huge distraction for people yeah, on the roads. Yeah. What's the best way to secure, maybe be the wrong word, but to, but to accommodate a dog yeah. in a car when you're going out on a journey? The safest way is a dog in a dog crate. I mean, I personally don't like dog seatbelts. I mean, I know there are seatbelts and there are restraints. I don't like them because they can cause frustration in a dog and a dog can bite through them. Um, and and you have to be very careful that the dog is actually secured in it. I just don't like them. For me, my dogs always travel in a dog crate. Always. And even if you haven't got one of those estate cars where you've got, a, a, obviously you wouldn't put a yeah. dog crate in a boot of a, a, a closed boot yeah. car, you know well, what I mean? Well, you can do if the boot is big enough. Um, you know, because because the dog is only going to be in there for a certain amount of time. If it's a long journey, you know, say say. I, I just had a thought actually. Yeah. Man, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Even if you've got a boot that's got a closed boot, most cars you can put the back seats down on, or yeah, even yeah. one of the back seats. Oh yeah, absolutely. So try the yeah. back seat down. Yeah. Try to crate into the boot. Yeah. The dog and can still see in here. The, yeah. The other thing about the, uh, traveling in a car is the crate doesn't need to be as big as it is at home, mm. because the dog is going to be lying down most of the time. So at home, the dog needs to be able to stand up and change position and all that. So he needs to be able to move. So so the guidelines for a crate in the house, the dog needs to be able to stand up and move around. In a car, you want him to lie down. So you don't really want him standing up and moving around. So a crate in the car could be slightly smaller than the, the crate in the house. And God forbid if something did happen, they're probably safer in the crate than yeah, they Yeah, they're would much be. safer in the crate because again, you know, I've spoken about car doors suddenly being open or you stop to, to maybe go to the shops. You know, you open the door if you've got kids with you I mean kids and dogs and cars are a nightmare so the dog in a crate if you're bringing the children and the dog please put the dog in the crate because children are not predictable and neither are dogs and the two together is a disaster so slow down slow down and travel with care travel with care make sure the kids aren't wearing their seatbelts and the dog is in a dog crate yeah I saw I saw a video that made me think of you over the weekend oh, it yeah. was a, a guy it was a scouser a proper yeah. scouse accent on him as well which probably made the video just a touch more funny he was um I don't know what type of dog. It looked like a bulldoggy type dog, but yeah, it was a bit kind of, taller than that. Okay, right? massively type. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Big yeah. dumb head on the dog, right? Yeah. He's been out shopping, right? Yeah. Looking after his mate's dog, right? The dog had managed to knock the post box out of the front hall door <gasps> and use it as a starting point to chew on the door. And when oh, he arrived shit. back to his house, here's the dog's head sticking out your man's front oh door. Oh, my God. That dog had separation issues. Separation issues, but oh uh, my god, and, and an expensive t- taste. That actually happened to me once. I was minding um, <laughs> a client's dog, and I left it in the garden. And it's very similar. And I came back, and the side door was chewed through. All the way through. The dog, thank God, was sitting at the whole door. Yeah, well, at least the dog was yeah, still yeah. there. Samantha, as always, a pleasure having you in. Do uh, treat your dogs mindfully, and just as importantly, travel with care. Uh, looking forward to having you in again next week, Samantha. Thanks, Brian. Take care. It's a dog's life.
with Samantha Rawson. It is a dog's life, but try and make it good for them. 20 past 11. Brian Redmond with you here on KCL Live. What have we got coming up between now and 12? Well, Dr. Ty Crowley, the government has just expanded um, the free access to contraception scheme. But what will this mean for those wishing to avail of it? and indeed for the GPs and the pharmacies that will have to administer it. Dr. Troy Crowley will be here just in a few moments' time to tell us all about that. Also, we'll be hearing from Dr. Alan Sullivan. He's the Heritage Officer at Carlow County Council. And good news, um, Kilkenny Squash Club looking... I think to encourage people to consider squash as a good exercise for those dark winter months, which are hopefully miles away. KCL or live, with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie. KCLR. Yeah, 23 minutes past 11 now this uh, beautiful Monday morning. It's Brian Redmond with you on KCLR Live. Our text and WhatsApps continue to come in in relation to all of the topics we're discussing this morning. That dinner's ready. Contact line is 083 306 96 and uh, continuing um, bits of advice and comment on uh, National Slowdown Day. Good morning, Brian. Regarding slowdown on the roads, I think guards have a part to play in this and need to be out doing more road checks. And I'm sure all the guards across uh, the country, Carlo and Kilkenny in particular, would love to be doing that. Uh, of course, depends on resources because you'll have other people wishing they were out on the beat more as well. But uh, nevertheless, the guards, I have no doubt, trying to do their very best best. Uh, new dates also for electric picnic next year. Will interfere farmers doing corner silage perhaps, one listener suggests. Did the organisers of the event forget that? Well, it's one of the busiest times of the year, no doubt, in and around that whole area. I'm sure they uh, were speaking to, to, to low, uh, interested parties and have taken all that into consideration. And of course, nobody knows what the weather is going to be like. That will, of course, affect the time um, when the farmers will be out at their best but uh, I'm sure everybody who was at Electric Picnic this weekend will be looking forward to it happening again um, at a similar sort of time next year well almost 2,500 GPs and just short of 1,950 pharmacies have signed up to provide services as the government expands its free contraception scheme uh, the contraception scheme was available to people between the ages of 17 and 30 well sorry it's been expanded to 17 and 30 because it was only available to those un- up to the age of 25 Dr Tyg Crowley is from Airfield Medical Centre and he joins us on the show this morning to tell us uh, what he's going to expect with these changes Dr Tyg you're very welcome along to Casey our Live Brian, thanks a million. Thank you for having me on. Um, a five-year increase in the age um, appropriate, uh, the age access to this scheme, is it going to make, you think, a big difference in the numbers of people accessing it? Uh, it will, Brian. In, ter- in terms of contraception, uh, I-, I suppose it was envisaged, and obviously finances would have been one of the things initially that obviously governments and Department of Health have to think about. So I suppose they, they weren't sure initially when they brought it in, but in terms of of the practicalities you know the, the initial scheme of 17 to 24 you know it was probably even more important to 24 to 30 uh, in in terms of f- f- allowing people to access access the scheme so it is to be welcomed uh, obviously as gps w- we would like a universal scheme for across the age groups across the cohorts expanded a bit more but uh, i think this this increases a very welcome but it's also a very important age group to have extended it to. My presumption is that the reason the government um, have rolled out the scheme in the first place is that they want to make sure that women 
um, who who are engaged in sexual activity but don't want to become pr- pregnant, who maybe struggle financially with accessing GPs, can avail of free contraception. But what about women who might be over that age bracket? Are the government, in effect, saying that, well, you know, by the time you reach, you know, 30 years of age, you should be able to pay for it yourself? Why don't they just make contraception free to all women who might need access to it? Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with you, Brian. And I, I would prefer if it was a universal access program um, across, but I suppose maybe finances come in and budget, budgetary allowances. I suppose this is, you, you know, and, and again, I'm not a politician and I'm not in the Department of Health, but I, I would suspect obviously budgets do come into it. And I think they're, they're, it's a slow expansion. I think if we're going to be here in two or three years' time, Brian, I think it will be a universal scheme for uh, women across all ages which will be welcomed but I suppose this is where we are we're in budgetary times uh, they expanded it to one age group now they've expanded it to the next and I'd say they're going to see how that runs out how, you know, and how it affects budgetary measures going forward and would you expect this to increase further the number of patients that GPs are seeing because again obviously they'll have to come along and um, engage in a, a basic consultation if they're not already on a, a, an assigned contraceptive pill um, to do that is it, go, is it going to increase the number of patients that you'll be seeing and, and taking on for example in airfields no I, I don't think so Brian because I think they were probably attending anyway uh, in the majority I suppose so, so you know it's welcome news for, for people that are attending and paying their GP I suppose there will be an increase in the number of people attending maybe that you know f- finance was a barrier to coming and uh, but I, I don't think that's going to be the big numbers I think the, the big numbers were probably already attending their GP in terms of contraception but I suppose we're in a zone and obviously you're trying to trying to balance access to your GP with providing a service but I do think this is a, a very worthwhile service to provide to the women of Ireland um, Listener question Brian why is the onus always on women though doesn't this move compound the notion uh, that women are responsible for contraception? Can we get the men on board, please? Yeah, I mean, there's things that men can do. Um, you know, you, you lots of contraception op- options open to men. Um, but again, we're putting the we're putting the yeah, it's, it's 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 a girl's problem. It's up to them to make sure they don't fall pregnant. It, it, it's further laying this at the door of women by giving them this access, isn't it? Well, I'm not going to get involved in that debate. I think it's it's allowing women to make decisions for their body and for their uh, well-being. Um, so obviously this opens up other discussions. But I think in terms of the basic scheme, it's allowing women to make a decision in relation to their health. And their, and their obviously there's other things you can do for young men and for men in, in terms of, of uh, health practices. And obviously they should be involved and they should take responsibility. But you know we've also got to look after to give women the chances of attending their GP and looking after their own reproductive health yeah yeah I'm just I'm I'm genuinely slightly concerned about the message that that sends out particularly to young men who may be getting involved in sexual relationships for the first time that when we hear all this in the media about you know women have access to free contraception women have that actually the lads are thinking ah sure it's it's up to her to sort that out it'll be interesting to see how that pans out Um, when is the scheme going to be expanded has that been done and if you're 26 years of age and want to contact your GP about this scheme today can you do that 
you can it's the first of september uh, it, it, it came in so you can absolutely um so if, as of last friday the scheme is now up and running okay so up and running already um have you had many calls on it so far no not too many actually brian not too many and and i and i suspect this is probably uh, a slow burner uh, I think people will will become aware of it in the, in the next couple of months as they go through a GP. But I don't think you'll see large numbers of people contacting practices about it. Okay, and just finally, Doctor Doctor uh, Ty Crowley joining us from Airfield Medical Centre. You mentioned that uh, you think it's going to be a slow rollout. Have you heard how many murmurings about when we might see those in the plus thirty cohort having access to a similar scheme? No, none at all. But I, I suspect, like most of these things. Um, I think it will be. This is a welcome development, and I think people will uh, be delighted as they attend their GPs in the next couple of months. And I think politicians, you know, they have their finger on the pulse, and they will realise this. This is a popular decision. Okay, Dr. Ty Crowley, thanks for joining us this morning on KCLO Live. But what do you think? Do you are you listening at home? Are you, are you a parent of young men who think maybe the lads need to take a little bit more responsibility in this? Does this measure furly, further leave it solely the responsibility of the girls, women in the relationships um, to take care of their, con- their own contraceptive needs? And uh, of course, you know, as it says in the actual release, it's people who become pregnant. We've got to be careful about the, the language that we use and being inclusive in it because anybody who needs access as long, of course, as you're not over the age of 30. And you'll have to look after it yourself. 32 minutes past 11 on a Monday morning. It's Coline with love like this. with love like this 25 minutes to 12 uh, somebody texted me asking can men get a free snip nope apparently not at the moment mind you somebody else told me they had a, an L rusty shears they could help out if needs be but no it is only um, available to women yes or those, ident- those who identify as women also um have access to contraception it's confusing but nevertheless it is available to all of those the most important thing um, is the age group that you need to consider only up to the age of 30 we're going to take a short break after which we'll be talking to Liam Hennessy from Kilkenny Squash Club are you uh, enjoying this in summer that we have but wondering what am I going to do to keep fit during those winter months well maybe Liam has the answer KCL or Live, with thanks to the Fairing Shopping Centre gift card, the perfect gift for all occasions. See fairgreen.ie. KCLR. 22 minutes to uh, 12 o'clock here this Monday morning. Um, squash, not uh, the orange variety, of course. Kilkenny Squash Club, uh, despite the weather for the coming week looking fantastic. There's no doubt winter is just around the corner, not too far away. And if you've been considering, what are you going to do for the uh, those cold, dark winter months? 
when you're looking to try and keep active but don't really want to be out in the elements maybe squash is the thing for you I'm joined in the studio now uh, by Liam Hennessy from Kilkenny Squash Club Liam you're very welcome along in Hiya Brian um, We were talking I think it was back in March to uh, to Brian Boogie because at the time the squash club we were talking about the history of the club and you were struggling to sort of nail down premises they needed a bit of a rejig and everything else as well it got all sorted quite quickly after oh, yeah, Brian and strangely absolutely. was on with us yeah, yeah, everything yeah, got sorted yeah, out from there so. good news story oh it was brilliant yeah I mean we were in the we were in the, the barracks for 40-50 years and just couldn't get back in after lockdown real disappointed and we thought the club was dead thought it was gone and uh, then Kieran's came along and they have two glassback squash courts and beautiful courts and we're all back playing and we're delighted now, yeah. Yeah, big, 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 big change. Um, talk to me about uh, squash and indoor court sports. You've got racquetball as well. You know, there's, Do you play a bit of racquetball up there or is it purely squash? It's purely squash. They're, they're, they're two different size courts. So Are they? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the squash court is two thirds the side of a racquetball court. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, no, you can't. You can't. So tighter, a bit more compact. A bit tighter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the ball's a bit deader. So, um, it's it seems to be right. I've got to be honest with you, right? So when I see squash, it's you're looking at people sweating buckets, right? And you see people right, yeah. who are highly fit. Some of the fittest people on the world uh, of elite sports will, will be squash players. That may be something that when people look from the outside could be a bit of an off-putting thing. Is that actually the case? No, I, I don't think so. Because when you come in and you play a game of squash, you'll be put in against someone your own level. Yeah. And you'll just play against each other. And you'll tire yourselves out fairly quickly. So it's uh, once you're <laughs> always playing someone at the same level, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fine. And there's little great. tricks that you can do in squash to make the game slightly easier. Because I know this, right? I've got, I've got to show off now. Um, when I was young, I used to work in a sports shop. And it was a proper sports shop. It wasn't just selling trainers. You know, yeah. actually restring rackets and everything else. You can get squash balls in different speeds, can't you? Oh, yeah. That's part of it, yeah. So... It, it, it really it'll depend on the heat in the court the squash court needs to be hot right and ideally when people people that's the shock people get when they go in there first the squash court is so hot so you'll have uh, the different colour dots on the, on right, the ball yeah. so the and the they f- bounce more so the more bouncy exactly. ones are easier to play exactly. with aren't they so if the court is colder you'll use a bouncier ball ok so. so if you're looking as if you're a beginner looking to start squash what you need to do is you need bouncy balls that's the most important thing that you have to have <laughs> to get started off in, in terms of the games of squash but since obviously the club has uh, moved to Kieran's those fabulous courts you were also telling me you've got a lot of new women members and things like that as well yeah so uh, since since we moved into Kieran's in space for a few months we've doubled our membership and uh, and the big change has been there's been a lot more women joining. Yeah. So it's a real different dynamic in it now and just a brilliant atmosphere. So what we do, uh, Tuesday nights is open night for, for, for women. So non-members can come in and try it out as well and we do a bit of coaching stuff as well. So there's a there's a kind of a, there's a social aspect to it as well, you know. Yeah, great. If people, there's no need to, to get into the competitive aspect if you don't want to, you know, you can just come along and tap along, play a game. Yeah, and enjoy it that way. And have any of those women stepped forward and really took on, taken on the mantle and, you know, maybe got involved in the committee yet, or are they still... Uh... <laughs> there is, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, we have a lady representative, um, actually my sister, Neve Hennessy. Neve is, uh, is involved in the committee at the moment. She's secretary, so that's, uh, yeah, that's it so far. So tell me about the facilities. Obviously, you've got those two glass-backed glass, glass backed 
courts. Um, that just means that for if somebody like me was to go along and make a fool of myself for the first time playing, everybody can see what's going on. No, no, they can't. No, go and enjoy playing squash. You'd be grand, you'll get into it. Um, but it's become a social thing, as you said, for people as well. Ah, uh, it is. It is very much so, yeah. So it's like I said, Tuesday nights is blitz nights for women and Wednesday nights for men's. Now, not exclusively, they can interchange, but it is like that. So you could have 10 to 12 people there on the night and play a quick game, come out, have a chat. And uh, yeah, yeah, no, it is, yeah, yeah, it is a, it is a good. Uh, do you know if you if you're moving to Kilkenny and you, and you didn't really, yeah, you want to meet really people. On, it's brilliant, it's brilliant, brilliant for meeting people. Yeah, yeah, and of course, as you said or I said in the introduction, it's it's a sport you can play all year long because you don't have to check the weather forecast for the weekend to see whether you need to put on your waterproofs. This is it. You'll be grand. Mm-hmm. Um, are you? Is there access available at the weekends, or is it only just during the week? So we're we're looking at we're looking at getting that, and we I think we're about to get that over the line. Hopefully, in the next few weeks, so we will have access on weekends and one thing when we have that we're going to start a junior coaching program excellent so we can get the the kids which is really the important thing for the future of a sport you got to get the kids in okay and if I was a complete beginner never played before and I wanted to come up and give it a try um, what do you need you need racket you need a pair of trainers presumably you have to wear those non-marking trainers non-marking shoes that's it yeah which are just runners that uh, probably generally they're not black soles or yeah, yeah, you know yeah. stuff like that most, most, most running shoes I think are are okay. Are, are, yeah, are okay. Now, if you don't have a racket and you want to give it a try, just come in. One of us will give you a racket. That's what I was going to get to because I think most people will have, as you said, access to a pair of runners or, or you can get a pair of non-marking runners relatively cheaply. Um, but you can borrow a racket off somebody. And- Absolutely, yeah. We'd always, one or two of us would always come in with two, with, we'd have to, a spare racket anyway. You know? You're only giving the cheap one, don't because they break it. <laughs> that's, that's, it. Exactly. that's the thing with squash, there's walls not too far away as well. Yeah, it can happen. It can happen. All right. So have you, because obviously still got um, space for new members, you've got to try and do a, a, a continued recruitment drive. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're always looking for new members. So our new season starts in September and we're, uh, we're, uh, we're going to do a big push uh, this time now just to see uh, is there any new people out there who'd like to who'd like to try it out? And of course, as we said, I mean, just in case people have missed the boat on this one, it's not a new squash club. I mean, that squash club has been around since was it late sixties. Late sixties, late sixties. It started in the barracks in Kilkenny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it really, it be, it was a really great squash club. Some really great players there, and some of them have have come across. Well, they've everybody has come back. So. There's some uh, there's some great squash club uh, players at a higher level. They're taking part in the Leinster leagues this year, which would be a uh, they're kind of the the big leagues to get involved in. There's the Three River Squash League as well. So you have uh, advanced, intermediate uh, level games there as well. Yeah, and then beginners. And then hopefully, as you said, when you get access at the weekends, you'll have some kids, and you have to have quite advanced, high level squash players in the club. Means presumably they can help out with a bit of coaching and stuff absolutely, like that. Absolutely, absolutely, and. Uh, we are uh, we're actually we're looking at getting in some outside coaches as well who would be complete professional coaches, you know. Yeah. So. Uh, and have you been playing squash your whole life, Liam? I I started as a teenager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Played a lot as a teenager and went away. So I I I kind of so unconsciously just stopped playing at the age of about twenty two. Yeah. And I used to go to the gym and do running, and I went back playing a few years ago, and I was just like, Jesus, why did I stop doing this? You yeah. know, you, there's there's a rush you get in a game of squash. That you really don't get in other games because it's it's short games, forty minutes, and there's a real intensity in it. Yeah, and you get this rush every time you play it. Whereas if you go out running, nah, nothing. Um, didn't do a few. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. 
And um, like I mean, squash is it's almost the exact opposite to playing golf, right? Squash, 40 minutes, highly intense, indoors, you can play it all year round. Yeah. Golf, five, five and a half, maybe six hours if it's a busy day, strolling around the place and you're checking the weather forecast from about I mean, Wednesday onwards, wondering what it's going to be. If you have a lot on your calendar, if you're stuck for time, which most people are these yeah. days, you're in and out in an hour. You know, the game is 40 minutes. And you got me interested. You definitely got me interested. Talk to me about the access times then that you have into Kieran. So, for example, obviously, presumably early afternoons into the evenings, there's lots of access. What about during the day? I mean, if, if you've got people who maybe have a day off during the week and they would like to, you know, partner up with somebody and organise a game while sure, the kids yeah. are at school, have you got access during the day? So, because because it's in St. Kieran's College, the school is open during the day. Okay. So really what we have there at the moment is 6 to 10 Monday to Friday yeah excellent now, so all those evening times again we're we're uh, I'd say we're fairly optimistic now uh, come October we're going to be in there on weekends as well and uh so we'll be we'll have a few hours on Saturday and Sunday there as well. Yeah, yeah. So that's the that's the way it is. At the definitely sounds interesting. Yeah. Um, in terms of getting in contact, you know, as you said, you've got a huge rake of new female members over the last couple of months. Um, you've got the the long-standing guys. Well, how old's the oldest playing member? Well, I it's it's that's a touchy subject. I don't think I'd like <laughs> go to on, say that. Go on, touch it. Um, I I'd say there's a, there's a few uh, there's there. No, there isn't. There. Uh, oh, go late, on. Late sixties. Late sixties. No, it's amazing. Actually, when I went back, I couldn't believe there was guys in their in their late seventies playing. Yeah. And wiping wiping the floor, <laughs> absolutely wiping the floor in squash. Either you run or they run. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, this yeah, is yeah, the yeah. guys. And the experienced guys will stand there and oh. they'll flick the ball around the court and amazing. run the legs off. Oh, you just watch it. It's, they're they're amazing to watch. Yeah, I can imagine. But those who might want to get in contact, maybe they played a little when they were younger. Maybe they experienced it at school, or maybe they've never been up there and just want to give it a go. And um, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you guys? So we're on Facebook, Kilkenny City Squash Club. Uh, we've uh, the email is there as well, Kilkenny Squash Club at gmail or um, I can leave a number with KCR and they can give me a ring. Yeah, right. So you, we'll, have, we'll have Liam's number here. You can get in contact with us. But you can check him out on Facebook as well. Kilkenny City Squash Club. That's it. Yeah, is there a country one as well? Uh, no, not, not on Facebook <laughs> at the moment. That, that domain is... The rival, a rival club out there. Well, listen, I'm just delighted to hear because I, was, I remember speaking to, uh, to Brian Buggy back in March and it was all sorts. And he was even concerned at the time about the future of the club. And here we are less than six months later and, and everything is absolutely thriving. We were sure it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. We, were sure, we knew nothing about Kieran's at the time and we were sure it was dead. Yeah, and it was terrible for you know guy, there was guys there playing since the sixties. A few we had a few members still there from the sixties, you know. And they thought they were going to be finishing up. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very sad, but geez, it was such a turnaround. Everyone's just delighted. Yeah, know? good, great, yeah. great to have a good news story on a Monday morning. Uh, Liam Hennessy, Kilkenny Squash Club. Check them out on Facebook and get and get involved. And as you said, if you're a complete beginner, as long as you've got a pair of runners, something comfy to wear. Um, the guys will give you a lend of a bit of gear to get started off and uh, keep your eyes open for the uh, the kids stuff coming hopefully um, later on in the year 10 minutes to 12 I'll be back with you in a minute KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops food outlets and a state of the art IMC cinema see fairgreen.ie Looking for a delicious evening out? Treat yourself to dinner in Statham's Bar and Restaurant on Patrick Street. Whether it's a date night or dinner with friends, make memories with every bite. Discover Kilkenny's finest seasonal ingredients, proudly brought to you by our passionate local suppliers. Enjoy farm-to-fork freshness, indulgent sharing plates and heavenly desserts. Visit PembrokeKilkenny.com forward slash eat and drink to experience Statham's magic for yourself. Statham's, showcasing the best of local cuisine. It's 
ploughing time, September 19th to 21st in Rathaniska, County Leash, with everything from farming to fashion, cutting-edge machinery, livestock, innovations, food festival, hundreds of indoor and outdoor exhibits, lifestyle events, celebrities and much more. It's a ploughing match, a trade fair, a shopping trip, an educational day for the kids and a family fun day. Sure, nothing compares to the ploughing. Don't miss out. Get the best rates and guarantee your ticket. Book online now at npa.ie. Carlo, Kilkenny, KCLR. It's Brian Redmond on KCLR Live this morning, 10 minutes to 12 o'clock this Monday, the 4th of September. I have to say thanks for all your text messages and WhatsApp messages and everything else. It's absolutely been on fire uh, this morning. People saying, Hi Brian, men certainly have to take responsibility for contraception too. I totally disagree that it's down to the women putting all those chemicals into their body. No, absolutely not. Thankfully I'm single and intend staying just that way with my dog. There you go. Out for a walk enjoying it, says Ellie in Kilkenny City. Yeah, I think it's definitely something we look at. It's a point that's very, very well made. I mean, giving women um, free access or access to uh, to free contraception is great. Um, it probably needs to be expanded to all people who may become pregnant or may be involved in pregnancies, including men. If we can do something about it, I think we should. Now, during Heritage Week, we were talking about um, the Carlo Place Names Project and uh, got a lot going on and we wanted to hear how things were progressing. And joining us now is Dr. Owen Sullivan, Heritage Officer at Carlo County Council. Um, good morning, Dr. Owen. Great to have you on the show this morning. Good morning, Brian. How are you? Thank you for letting me join you this morning. Just to say a few words. Appreciate it. Well, listen, take us back to Heritage Week when we were talking about this Place Names project, just in case anybody missed it. Sure. Um, the Carlo Place Names project is a new initiative. It's really a pilot for this year. It's funded by Carlo County Council and Heritage Council, and it is an opportunity for people who live in Carlo to have any sort of place names that they know of or grew up using to have them recorded and the idea is look traditions change and people unfortunately the life cycle we go through we, we lose people along the way um, and we're very keen as we were doing the heritage plan a lot of feedback came back from a lot of people around Carlo saying you know things like field names and place names are actually dying out and they were quite sad about it and rightly so then we kind of thought well actually let's capture what we can and let's do it quickly and let's do it now because that'll be there for future generations so that's where it came about um we appointed dr eve campbell of archaeological management solutions to coordinate that so we're in year one of uh, the phase of the pilot stage and when we were talking about it during Heritage Week, I found it really, really interesting because you've obviously got all the various different levels of naming of locations within the state from our provinces to our counties to our townlands. Um, but so much of this finds its way into the local vernacular, Dad's Field or the, the Damp Field or the, the Bendy Road, all of that stuff. So much of it was never recorded or laid down apart from past, from one generation to the next and this is basically a project looking to try and make sure that we capture all that information absolutely um you've hit the nail on the head it is the vernacular it's the the lived language do you know what it is we often we often drive through a landscape or cycle through a landscape and we kind of forget that we actually have a way of reading that landscape um and it's reading through memory a lot of the time so i said you know the three-quarter fields the the hungry grass all these sort of stuff all these sort of names occur and we often use them but we never really question what the meaning was 
Um, like, I mean, people think about place names and they think about the fields, but it's even at the it's even at the level of uh, a rock. You know, rocks kind of names. It could be a tree. Um, it could be a portion of a field. Very often, you know, with agricultural practices, fields over the years have got larger. So where we look at a map now and see a field. Sometimes people might have three or four names on different sections of that field, even though the bank or the hedge or the earthen boundary is long gone. You know, so it's to capture that. Um, yeah, very much so. so I, I think you're on the money there completely. Yeah. And what would you like to see happen out of the end of this project? Could we could we imagine a situation whereby maybe when the project is completed, people will be able to say things like, um, uh, "Hey Siri, find directions to the curly tree in County Carlow," <laughs> and uh, Siri will be able to go getting directions to the curly tree in County Carlow? Well, I, well, I, well, you know what, the way technology is going, maybe, <laughs> but I wouldn't recommend you just trying it just yet. Give us a couple of years before that. No, where we, look, I suppose with any project, you have to have the beginning and where you want to end up. And what the beautiful thing about this project is we know where we want to be. There's already existing... Uh, a uh, government-funded website called Logonum. Um, they have a metal page on that. And it was set up a few years ago where local communities can record their place names and put it on independently. So we thought if we could get somebody who has the geographical information skills, what's called GIS, if we could get somebody who has those skills to deal with the communities and just show them how to record the names. So in other words, we'll give you the map, we'll give you the record sheet, you need to put the location on it and we'll take it from there and coordinate and put it all up. So basically the idea is anyone, be it somebody even doing genealogy, be it somebody in the diaspora out there from Carlo who, you know, maybe only knew a family name and didn't know much more, they can go onto this free website, we'll populate the information and it might just help them get a link to what part of Carlo they were from. So there's many, many aspects, even down to researchers, you know, students who might be looking at this stuff as well. So it will serve many, many people. The main thing is, it's just to have it recorded that people don't feel, oh, you know, we've, we've kind of lost another layer of our memory and our, our real feeling with the landscape, you know. OK, and you've got a meeting coming up, I think, in the uh, Palatine GA Club Clubhouse. That's it. Yeah, thank you, Brian. We certainly do. We've had two fantastic meetings for the last two Tuesdays. Our third and final meeting is taking place, as you mentioned, the GAA Clubhouse in Palatine, which is a fantastic place to actually have it. We had two really, really good, really lively meetings there for the last two Tuesdays. So tomorrow night, Tuesday the 5th, at 7pm in the Palatine GAA web, um, Clubhouse, We'll have Eve Campbell with her assistant who will be just giving you the map. So if you want to come along, just get in touch with us. Let us know the area. She'll give you the maps and we'll record it from there. And it's as simple as, you know, Eve having the maps there and somebody who's got that little bit of knowledge going along and say, Eve, you see that bit? That was called this, or I think my father always used to refer to that part as that. And he'll gather all that information up then from there and use it as needs be. That's exactly it. And the beautiful thing about place names is there's no right or wrong answer. That's the beautiful thing. And there's so much that people have in their in their knowledge, their local knowledge, that they probably take for granted. Yeah. Um, and when they sit down with a map and actually three or four people chat, you'll notice the variations and a little bit of a bun fight. <laughs> right and I'm wrong. That's the fun of it. But you know what? Heritage is on the social side, having the chat. Uh, and if you come along to me tomorrow, that's what I really saw at the last meetings. They really were people having the chat, having the fun. And actually, it's lovely when you get a couple of young people as well, because it's all about getting the intergenerational thing. Yeah, sounds fine. Fantastic. We're having a giggle. Well, so, do pop along yeah. to uh, Palatine GA 
Clubhouse, um, obviously in Carlow. It's uh, 7 p.m. tomorrow evening. They're looking to find out at all. And you know what I'd love? I'd love for Dr. Eve to come in when she's completed the study and give us um, a list of some of the more unusual places or how she found the whole project. I think it's quite interesting. I have a feeling she's only itching to be asked. <laughs> well, she will be asked. Uh, thank you for your time this morning, Dr. Alan Sullivan. He's the Heritage Officer at Carlow County Council. Once again, 7pm, Palatine GA Club. Do pop along and enjoy that. Thanks for your company this morning. Um, thanks to all of our guests. Thanks to uh, everybody involved in putting the show together. Etna Quirk back in answering the emails. Siobhan and all the same answering the phones. And uh, John Keane is up after the news at 12. And I'll be back with you tomorrow morning from 10. Take care. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie.